Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, no astronaut would ever go out into space without a life support system. And no deep sea diver would go down to the ocean depth without a life support system. No soldier would go out into battle without a life support system. In the military, that's a band of brothers called a platoon who fight for one another, care for one another. Uh, They look out for one another. They care for each other. And guess what? God never intended for you to go through life, your trials, your pressures, your tragedies by yourself. In fact, the very first thing God said is it's not good for man to be alone. And whether you get married uh, or marry again is irrelevant. The issue is you need people in your life. We're better together. God just wired us up for community. And the basic unit of community Uh, is the small group. In your body, your life support system that keeps you alive is the millions of cells in your body. You're not one big cell. You're not one big blob. You're millions of little cells all put together. And the actual life of your body is not just in the body, it's in the cells. Life is in the cells. And the same is true spiritually. The church, which is called the body of Christ, is the life of the church is in the cells. It's in the small group connections. So what we are right now is a crowd, but this crowd is made up of, of people who are connected to a small group in this church. As you look around you, many of the people you see are connected to a cell, to a small group. Rockbrook has about 1,000 people uh, connected to a small group, adults, teens, and kids. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a season in our church that small groups are going to play an intricate part. It's a season that we call a spiritual growth campaign. Many of you have been here for a spiritual growth campaign. Why we call it a campaign is because uh, we align many parts of our church to where we're all advancing in the same way, in the same things. So these weekend services and Rockbrook for Kids weekend services along with the small groups, adults and and teen small groups will focus around the same theme. Now, Rockbrook for Kids small groups that meet on Monday nights, that'll be an exception because they have a multi-year journey that they take kids through, Uh, but they will in their weekend services be aligned. It's going to be powerful. It's very powerful. It's one of the most powerful tools Rockbrook uh, has used to grow this church spiritually. And so other campaigns we've done in the past, you may remember, are 40 Days of Purpose, 40 Days of Community, Life's Healing Choices, 40 Days in the Word, Transformed, where we come for a weekend service, you'll hear a message, you'll get introduced to the topic and the verses, then you'll meet in small group for some insights that you're not going to get on the weekend, and then uh, you'll have an opportunity to discuss it, and you'll have a personal study guide uh, that will guide you through the campaign. And this concentrated time of alignment just bears lasting fruit. It's amazing how many times I hear from people where they bring up something from a campaign, from a spiritual growth campaign, uh, that they finally broke free from something, they finally changed something, a powerful truth was finally instilled in them. And so the question of this spiritual growth campaign is this, what are you building your life on? 
because everybody is building their life on something. And have you ever stopped to consider what you are building your life on? In a world where what seems to be true and right, it seems to shift every day. And it's no wonder, it is no wonder why many people lead confused lives, unsatisfied lives at times. And thankfully, God has a plan. He designed values for us to live by. What are your values? Your values are the core beliefs that you hold that shape everything you do. Everything you do is already decided by a set of values you have built into your life. And God's values are amazing because they don't fade, they don't crumble with age, they are unchanging, they are eternal, and if you build on them, they will last. They will be there a year from now, five years from now, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now, they will still be there. They are worth building your life on. That's why this campaign is called Building Your Life on Values That Last. Now, I'm several weeks ahead of you on this as I've been preparing for it, and I cannot wait for us to get started because I'll tell you, I am experiencing more focus than I ever have in my life, more meaning, a stronger connection with God, and a tremendous amount of clarity as I see the world, as I see the news, as I process my life, and I can't wait for you to experience and have us all experiencing that together. Let me just give you a few key dates, just a few key details of how this is going to roll out. Uh, We're going to do a series called Preparing to Build. This is going to be a three-week series to get us going. Next week, we're going to talk about how God changes us. How he use, how's, he, how's he going to use the spiritual growth campaign to change us? If you ever want to change anything in your life, how does God do it? And then September 7th and 8th, I'll do an introduction message on the campaign. You don't want to miss that. It's going to set kind of the framework of the whole, the whole series. And after that weekend would be a great time for your small group to start meeting. And then September 14th and 15th, Uh, will be kind of the official launch because we'll hit value number one. We'll start with value number one. And then for the next 10 weeks, we'll go through 10 values. And we'll do that every week until November 23rd, 24th. We'll have a celebration weekend to celebrate all that God has done in our lives. And then it's Thanksgiving. So this thing will run between Labor Day and Thanksgiving. We'll finish up before uh, the holiday season and everything else. Uh, But I have been seeing God prepare us for this. And that's what this three-week series is all about. Preparing to build. Preparing to build your life on values that last. Uh, If you'll take out your message notes, turn to Acts chapter 2 if you like. Uh, Since so many of us are going to be in small groups this fall, I thought I'd answer two questions this weekend. One, what does a small group actually do according to the Bible? And two, how do you get the most out of your small group? Um, So let's start with our model for our church and for small groups. Uh, You you might say, Ryland, what's our our church model? What's the model for our church? And our model for Rockbrook Church is the very first church described in the Bible. The very first church was started in Jerusalem uh, 2,000 years ago. And uh, Luke, as he writes uh, the book of Acts, describes what the church would do and their characteristics and what they were all about. And he describes how they would meet, they would gather together in the temple courts for worship, but then they were also connected to one another, that they, that they would meet house to house, that they would meet in the community throughout the week. 
and you discover as you read through uh, the habits of the first church that they had two primary meetings. They'd have large group worship and small group fellowship. Let's see what the first church was all about. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. From this passage... Uh, we get five things of a good, five elements of a good life support system. Five things that a healthy small group does. If you're taking notes, uh, write them down with me. Number one is we study God's word together. Would everybody just pause and say, duh. duh. It's a Bible study. We study God's word together. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Thankfully, the apostles wrote down what that teaching and that doctrine was. And it's this. It's the Bible. The New Testament is the apostles' teaching. It's written by the apostles, Peter and Paul and John. And so when they're studying the teaching of the apostles, well, how could we do that? We study the Bible, the truth of the Bible. The whole spiritual growth campaign is built around the apostles' teaching, the truth of the Bible, God's word, God's truth. It's biblically driven. And I'll tell you, studying the Bible with a small group of people is more important to your spiritual growth and spiritual health than personal Bible study. And you might say, what? Are you kidding me? No. Because when I go to read the Bible, I have a cultural lens that I look at it through. I see it from my perspective, with my prejudices, with my background, with my biases, and so do you. And so when we study the Bible with others... When you go to a small group, you have people with different backgrounds, different occupations, different ages, and they're going to see things that you simply don't see, and they're going to see how we can apply this to our life in ways that you won't. What's more reliable? If you were to be a witness of something, an accident or something else, what's more reliable? One, pair, one person with one pair of eyeballs or six people with six pair of eyeballs? What's going to have more relevant details? A multitude of, of witnesses. And so that's why it's powerful to study God's word with other people, to hear from other people. So yes, you should read the Bible and study it on your own. Uh, this, this spiritual growth campaign is going to have a personal study element and a group study element to it. But we should study it in a small group as well. We study the Bible together. Number two, we practice learning how to love. A lot of religions... In a lot of religions, the way you become holy, the way you become the holy man, the holy woman, and the way you become spiritual is to get away from people. In a lot of religions, the holiest person is the one who's out in this village, in this remote place, or up and living in this cave on the mountainside, and, and they're untouched by human, wicked, nasty human beings, so they stay pure. And Jesus steps in and just says, that's a myth, and blows the whole thing up. He was in the marketplace. He was in people's homes. He was in a small group. Why? Because you can't learn how to become holy without ever being tested. You can't learn to become love and more loving without other people. 
And some of us, we, we grew up and we learned the wrong relationship skills. You didn't learn how to resolve conflict. You, you didn't learn how to get your point across without being cross. A lot of other things. And you learn those relationship skills with others. So you learn them in a small group. And you have to do it with people who are different from you. It's easy to love people like you. It's the person you're sitting next to. They're really messed up. They're the, they're the problem. They're the trouble. I know you want to laugh harder at that, but you can't because they're sitting right there. But. And in every small group, there are people who they need extra grace and you learn how to love them. Did you know there's a theological word for that? There's a, a Bible word. It's a purpose word. That word, practicing, learning how to love, is called fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. It says they were like family to each other. And in many ways, your spiritual family can become much closer even than your physical family. It says they committed themselves to life together. And I'm asking you to make a commitment uh, for the fall. Practicing learning how to love by being in a small group for that season. Here's the third thing we see that they do and that we do. I really like this one in small groups. We eat together. This is the fellowship of food. The cup of coffee I have with my small group is my favorite cup of coffee of the week. The barbecue I get with a, a small group of friends is the, my favorite meal. The Bible says they shared in fellowship meals. And when you, study, when you study the life of Jesus, it's very interesting. Go look into this. Most often when he's making his most important points, he's either walking or they're eating. Why? Why is it in those scenarios that, that he brings in, he just brings in the, the, the most important teaching? It's because when you're walking or you're eating, your receptivity to the truth is much wider because you're more natural. Your barriers are down and you can hear the truth. And so that, that's why uh, we don't have adult Sunday school classes like a lot of churches do where you come in on a Sunday morning in a suit and tie and sit in the classroom, sit in tight rows and, and, and have a teaching and then be expected to talk because it's just so unnatural. You stick a guy in that environment, he, he's not really going to be himself and open up. You stick the same guy in a tank top and cutoffs and flip-flops and a hat on a, in a living room on a Tuesday night and guess what? He'll help somebody. He'll, he'll want to hear the truth. Why? Because he's now himself. It's now him. It's not some person he's pretending to be. It's him. So food uh, and, and the environment is just an important part of fellowship. Now, it mentions the breaking of bread a couple of times in this passage. One time, it's talking about just fellowship meals, eating together. Another place, it's talking about celebrating communion. And it's it, communion is an act of communing with God, remembering his sacrifice, repenting from sin. Uh, people often ask, when do we celebrate communion here where we uh, partake in uh, uh, the bread that's representing Jesus' body and the and a juice representing Jesus' blood poured out for us. And we do that primarily in the small group setting. So probably toward the end of the semester, you would celebrate communion with your small group, which is representative of the Last Supper with Jesus, where they did that on a weekday night in a small group. There's a fourth thing we do with each other, and that is we pray for each other. There is additional power when we pray together. God likes agreement. He just likes it when his family's in agreement, when they're unified. 
when they're brought together and he blesses it. So we pray for each other. Actually, we pray for each other. We pray with each other. Now, I have found that many people do not want to join a small group because of one simple fear. And that is, I'm going to get there and somebody's going to ask me to pray in front of everyone and I don't know how to do that. How do you handle that one? Well, let me just tell you, there is not a Rockbrook small group leader who would ask a brand new person to pray in front of people they barely know. So that's not going to happen. You can set that fear aside. But eventually, they're probably going to ask you to pray. So what do you do when that happens? Here's the way to do that. The simple way is just to pray one sentence, thank you prayers. Just start out that way. Just say, God, I thank you for, and fill in the blank. Thank God for the small group. Go around the circle and thank them by name. They'll think you're brilliant. They'll fall in love with you. Wow, this person's so thankful for me and this group. I love them. But over time, you'll find that prayer is one of the most powerful parts of small group. It's amazing. It's amazing. I've seen prayer be the reason people don't want to join a small group. And I've seen prayer be the singular reason people stay in small group. It's the greatest thing in the world to know there's people praying for you. When I became the pastor here, several members told me, they said, Rylan, I'm committing to praying, you for, praying for you every week and you can count on me. And I could not do this and would not do this if you weren't praying for me. The day you stop praying for me is the day I stop. It's the greatest thing to know people are praying. It's the greatest thing in the world before you come on stage to preach, to get a text from your wife that says, we're cheering you on with the angels. Go preach God's word. We're covering you in prayer. It's like, okay, let's go. Let's do this. So you'll find that, that that's the greatest thing in the world to know people are praying for you. Then the final thing that happens is number five, we help each other. I thought about the small group I'm in just this summer. Some of the things that I know of that we've done for each other. Uh, we helped a guy move on the hottest day of the year. Uh, we've brought meals to each other, gone to the grocery store for each other. Guy texted me on Thursday night, says, I'm going to Price Chopper. You need anything? And yeah, I did. So I trimmed a tree uh, this summer and cleared my fence line, took it to a small group member who lives out in the country, added it to his burn pile. We've helped each other with woodworking, metalworking, car repairs, giving stuff to each other, giving outgrown kids clothes to each other, borrowing a trailer, working out together, serving on serve day together, just helping each other out in practical ways. Not just doing something for yourself, not even just doing something for your family, but doing something for somebody else because they have a need. That's a small group. And by, by the way, when we say small group, we mean small. You know, if, a, if a group gets too big, it gets harder to help each other and to do these things. So when a group size starts getting really into the double digits, uh, what tends to happen is that someone stops talking, uh, stops supporting other people, sharing how they need to be supported, and then another person starts overleading. Like they feel like I've really got to lead this group. I've got to carry this group. And that's why we encourage some of the bigger groups to find ways to, to at times make it smaller. Split up for discussion or have someone, uh, someone start a new group. Some of the people, I'm telling you this because as we start new groups for the fall, I've seen some people, they, they think they're not succeeding because they have two, three, or four in their group. That's a great size. 
that's a great small group because you can do these five things really well in that size of a group. And you can strengthen each other. Now, I know some of you aren't in a group yet, and, and it's not because of any of these five things. You love these five things. Say, I'm all for these five. All day long, I love these. But there's maybe a fear because of the small group meeting. It's a little bit of an unknown. One of the reasons many people don't get in a group is because there's just a fear about that, that meeting. Small groups are not a meeting. Like your family isn't dinner. Your family has dinner. Small groups are the same way. There's these five things happening, but then there's also a, a habit meeting once a week where you come together to group together. And a lot of people look at that meeting and they think, what's going to happen when I get in that group? It's going to be my first time. Somebody's going to start crying. It's probably going to be me, and I don't want to face this whole thing. So let me just explain a small group meeting. I'll simply just show some pictures on the screen of just groups meeting. Most groups meet for an hour and a half to two hours. And you'll visit with one another. Then you're going to watch a video for this campaign where I recap the weekend message, add in some other things, and you'll watch that on a TV or a computer or a tablet, and I'll ask you to pause the video about four times and discuss uh, the teaching and the scripture with your group and out of your workbook. And then uh, you'll finish that. You'll share how you can pray for each other and support one another that week. And you'll pray and you'll go home. And that's a small group meeting. So I've asked for some help with uh, this message today. Uh, Dave Probert is going to come and share his small group story and give you a couple of these points. Would you give a warm Rockbrook welcome to our good friend, Dave? Thank you. Thank you, Ryland. Now, Ryland had asked me to come and speak to you about how being in a small group has helped my spiritual growth. My wife and I have been coming to Rockbrook since January 2005. Like a lot of you, I really like how Pastor Kelly's messages were were full of practical, biblical advice, and there were things I could apply to my day-to-day life. In one of Pastor Kelly's messages, he said everyone should be in a small group. Since we made the commitment to join Rockbrook and follow the pastor's teachings, we didn't give joining a small group a second thought. We just jumped right in and went in. Now, one of the best things about small groups of Rockbrook is that your first one or your seventh one, if they don't fit, just try another one the next semester. There's no judgment. Just keep going until you find your group. And now, I grew up going to a Methodist church and went to traditional Sunday school classes as a child and an adult. And honestly, I thought small groups is how Rockbrook did Sunday school classes. But I learned that wasn't the case. So the first thing I had to do is I had to find a small group to join. So I looked at the small group signups, found one that worked with my schedule at Met Tuesday mornings at 6.30 a.m. Uh, you can ask my wife, Nikki, I am not a morning person. <laughs> so going to a 6.30 a.m. small group was going to be a challenge. So on a February morning, I was walking in the church to go to Jason Slover's small group and not knowing what to expect. Was I going to have to tell everyone my life story? Was there going to be a test? Were there going to be essay questions? Would I have to pass this test before they let me join? But thankfully, nothing like that happened. And the group went really, went really well. The other guys in the group were nice, and they seemed normal. I uh, went back the next week, and then the next week. Showing up to the meeting every week was another step. I noticed over the weeks, not only was I learning from the small group study we were doing, but I was building new friendships because of the time we were spending together. 
This is quality time you don't get with other people when you just attend weekend services, especially in the church the size of Rockbrook. And as these months, as these weeks turned into months, it was the relationships that kept me coming back to my small group. Now, you may not have caught what I just said, because I started going to Jason's small group. But now, within a few months, it was my small group. I was no longer attending. I was part of the group. And this was another, this was another step for me, some more spiritual growth. I was now connected to other believers that in a short amount of time I would come to rely on. When I started going into my small group, I was not experiencing any type of major life crisis. But that changed later in the year with the passing of my father. My group was there to comfort me and my family. They've been there to help me with kid drama at home. And my wife and I have two daughters, and there's a lot of kid drama at home. (laughs) I've also got lots of helpful marriage advice and other advice about life in general. I now had a support group that I didn't have before, another step. A few years later, Pastor Kelly asked me if I would lead a group. Stepping up to be a small group leader was another step for me. I found leading a small group to be a rewarding experience by getting to help the other guys take their next steps. For some of you, leading a small group may be your next step. And as I look back at the steps I've taken since I joined my small group, I see how I've grown, but I also know I have farther to go. And remaining in my small group is going to help me take those next steps. Some of these steps may have been small and seemingly insignificant, but when you put enough small steps together, you go on a long journey. And being connected to the small group, make sure that those steps are in the right direction. Standing still doesn't take you anywhere. It takes intentional steps to grow spiritually. And being in or leading a small group is an important step. So now let's talk about how we can get the most out of our small groups. We're going to give you six very simple things to do for this fall spiritual campaign. If you do these things, you will enjoy your small group, you will grow like crazy, your life will be stronger, and you'll have a whole lot of fun doing it. So number one, make my group a priority. In other words, show up every week. Don't fake out, don't flake out, don't say I don't have time to go this week. If you only show up every other week, then you're going to miss half of building your life on values that last and you'll only have half a foundation. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You can't encourage anybody if you're not there. You make it a priority. You can do this for 11 weeks. We're probably going to miss a week or two because of travel or something else may come up. So let's not let that be the thing that stops us from this great opportunity but we can make the majority of them and commit to doing our best to be there. Number two, share my thoughts with humility. When you enter into discussion time in your small group, you don't go to show off. You're not trying to impress people. You leave your ego and your logo at the door. You come in with a sense of wanting to learn. You come not to impress, but you come to express what you are facing and what you are learning. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. That's what a small group is, a group of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Nothing ruins a small group faster than one person in the group acting like they know it all. That doesn't work. 
Humility means being teachable. The Bible said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why? Because humble people are teachable. Everyone in the small group you're going to be in can teach you something. They may be older than you. They may be younger than you. They may be more educated than you. They may be less. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the life experiences they've had. So everyone can teach you something because you haven't experienced everything. So we come with a sense of humility, being willing to learn. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Whether in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Being in a small group teaches you to be unselfish. It teaches you to not be self-centered. Being in a small group has helped me be less self-centered. It's very easy for me to be preoccupied with my job, my life, my goals, my responsibility, my to-do list. It's very easy for me to only think about me. But when I go to a small group, the Bible says, don't just be interested in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others too. It teaches you to be a better person. <clears throat> You're not so caught up in yourself. You begin to be unselfish. You're inter interested in the lives of others. You can't be interested in the lives of everybody, but you can be interested in a few. That's very doable. It's the thing that God uses to teach you to be unselfish, to share my thoughts with humility. All right, let's go to the third one. That is respect others' ideas with courtesy. You know, we're going to be in small groups with people who are farther along uh, than us. We're going to be in small groups with people who aren't near as far along as us. Romans 14.1 says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So don't start quarreling over things that don't matter yet. Respect uh, where someone is in their journey of knowing God and be courteous to their struggles, their doubts, their fears. You know, fears are an interesting thing. My fears, I'll just tell you, they're completely rational. <laughs> they're, I mean, reasonable completely logical. Your fears are irrational and uh, illogical and unreasonable. And the Bible says if you're going to be Christ-like, you've got to learn to be considerate of the fears of other people. So I'm going to show respect uh, to other people and what they're going through and what they're thinking through with courtesy. Here's the next one, and that is I'm going to share my faults with honesty. This one will take your group to the next level. Not just faults, but your stresses, your problems, your pressures, trials, troubles, difficulties, the bad things that are happening. And the more you're able to share the real you, the more you're going to grow. 1 John 1, 7 through 8, this is amazing. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So fellowship requires authenticity, integrity, honesty. Then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, everything's perfect in my life. No problems, no sins. We're only deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know everything's not great in your life. We know everything's not great in your life. Why not just admit it? Why not just bring it out into the light? You know, I think of all the different problems, my small groups, the groups I've been in have faced over the years and different sins 
and trials and things that we've tackled. We face problems with children, finances, illness, deployment, custody, addiction, on and on and on. And here's what I found. The people who are the most open about those things, that bring it into light, have the highest success rate of conquering those battles. And on top of that, the people who are open about it are the ones who help the other people. Sharing your strengths doesn't help people near as much as sharing your weaknesses. You know, if I were to get up here and just tell you all the things I'm happy with in my life and proud about and, and, and just feel good about it, all the successes I've had, you'd drive out here today and go, well, woo-hoo for you. But when I open up in the messages of things that, man, it's really not the way I want to be yet. I'm still, still growing. Man, still, still working on this thing. All of a sudden, we have a connection. All of a sudden, we can help each other. It bonds us together. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And many, many people confess their sins to God and they receive forgiveness. But if you want to stop being haunted by the memory, haunted by that hurt, you bring it into the light with another person. You're only as sick as your secrets. And you don't have to tell the whole group if you don't want to. Just find someone you know they're going to love you unconditionally. To feel, you feel you can share something with them. Our small groups are confidential. Uh, there are small group guidelines that say what's said in the group stays in the group. When, when people become a member here, they sign a covenant that says they will not gossip. That if it's not your news to share, don't share it. If it's not your sin to confess, don't talk about it. Let's review. We're going to make our group a priority. Share thoughts with humility. Respect others' ideas with courtesy. Share my faults with honesty. The fifth thing I can do to get the most out of my group is share others' problems with sympathy. Carry each other's burdens. This way you fulfill the law of Christ, the teachings of Christ. Here's an interesting thing. If I show up to my group and I share a joy, the joy is exponentially doubled. If I share a sorrow, the sorrow is halved. So if I show up to my group and say, like I hope to say someday, hey guys, guess what? I've just cleaned out my basement. I look forward to that day. Oh, and I'll share it with them and the joy will be doubled and it'll be great. Also, if I show up to my group and I say, man, I have a horrible day today. You might say, I got chewed out by my boss. I've lost my job. I had a car accident. This trouble with my kid. Man, I've relapsed in this area. They get to carry the burden with you now, and the sorrow is halved. It's not as heavy. So in either case, it's good for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, talking about the body, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Finally, number six. And that is we encourage each other to grow. Here's the rest of the verse that Dave read earlier, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is a great verse for small groups. Romans 1, 12. Would you read this out loud with me? I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. So I want you to get the most out of your walk with God uh, this fall. And uh, to do that, we want everybody in a small group this fall. And uh, my group's full. I can't invite you all to my group. In order to get everyone into a group, we need more small group leaders. 
and we can show you how to do this. You can do this. This is not rocket surgery. <laughs> you can do this. You can do this. And we have groups that meet in homes. They meet in basements, kitchens. Some meet in restaurants. Some uh, meet at the, at the office on a lunch break, school campuses. One of the cool things about building your life on values that last is you don't have to be a teacher to lead a small group. Uh, for the campaign, I'll teach the lessons on video, and you can stream the video. I'll teach it there. And in the campaign, you'll also have a personal study guide uh, that will guide you through some personal lessons. You can do it at your own pace. It's, it's really not uh, overbearing. You can do this. You bring it to your small group. You do some of it in your small group. Uh, this guide will go on sale next week. It'll be $10. Uh, this book actually costs us more than $10, but your giving covers the rest, and you can do this. You can start a small group for building your life on values that last. You can do that between Labor Day and, and Thanksgiving. If everyone will look at your worship guide, this is also on the app. If you pull out this small group leader commitment card, some of you, God has already been tugging on your heart. You didn't even need this message. You know, I'm, I'm, I want to lead a small group. I'm in. Some of you heard this message, think, I, I can try that. I could do that. Just say, I commit to leading a small group for the fall 2019 semester. Drop that in the offering bag at the end of the service, and we'll reach out to you and, and help you do that. Maybe you're just interested. Like, you hear this, and maybe or maybe not I could do this, but I've got some questions. I'm considering it, but I need to talk to someone about what this would look like for me and the other person I'm thinking would do this with me or what this would look like in my context and you've got some questions, just check, I'm interested. We won't try to talk you into it. We won't make you do it. We'll just answer the questions you might have and let us know that. Drop it in the offering bag at the end of the service. Ryland, why, why you do it? Why do I want you to be in a small group? Why do I want you to lead a small group? Because here's what I've found about these spiritual growth campaigns. The small group leader always grows the most. And so if you want to get the most out of it, you can lead a group. And that's, that's, why, that's why I extend that invitation to you. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us not only the message, but you give us methods by which you want us to grow and become like you. And I pray for those who have maybe been considering leading a small group and they have some fears or insecurities or God, I pray that you would just lead, lead them, that you would make it clear that you're leading them. I thank you in advance for the lives that are going to be changed and the foundation that will be built, the marriages that are going to be saved, the jobs that are going to be turned around, dreams that will be fulfilled, all, all the things that happen from a spiritual growth campaign. God, we thank you in advance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.